Hey everyone, welcome back to A Little Better. My name is Aaron Hickson. I'm the Rochester Campus Pastor, which I think I just did the introductions just so I could say that. And I'm here with Drew Karshner, our lead pastor. Thank you guys for tuning in, watching, listening. However you get at us, we're glad you get at us. And that's a super weird way to say that. Drew, say something that will rescue me, please. Uh, you're beyond rescue, except for Jesus. Welcome. Hallelujah. Welcome. Hallelujah. Thanks for getting at us. <laughs> you said that too fast, you could get yourself in trouble. <laughs> That's true. There's a lot of things like that. Uh, I have found as someone who talks too fast, um, the, I won't tell any stories because I don't want to incriminate myself. Fifth Amendment. But um, okay, dude, right behind you, there is the eye chart, the like, which this is just going to be for those who watch. There's a there's like a, a doctor eye chart. Yeah, okay, nice. I find myself frequently looking at that during meetings and thinking like, can I make out the rows or whatever? So I'm just wondering, is that, um, what's the, what's the decor theme that results in an eye chart? Bro, you're, you're asking questions that are beyond my expertise. <laughs> Ashley department, uh, random fact, my one eye, when I cover it, I'm blind in one eye. I can't even read the E. Yikes. Yeah. I'm on the road, people. <laughs> uh, remind me never to ride in a car with you again. <laughs> oh, oh my that, goodness! Right? <laughs> yeah, that's that does not sound that does not sound fun. But um, yeah, so we're we're jumping in. This is week three of Moses. There's been a lot going on um, on our staff. Actually, we um, are having to be. We're we're we always have been in terms of COVID, like we've, we've been needing to be careful, needing to be cautious this whole time. We're only 50% in the office. Um, but there's a church in the area that had like a COVID like scare where a lot of their staff had to quarantine, not scare. I think maybe one person tested positive, but they ended up having to quarantine a lot of their staff. So we're having to make sure we're being extra vigilant. We watched it. We were always saying we're trying to learn from other churches. And this is an example of like, yep, we definitely need to learn from other churches. That would be very bad if we lost half of the team all in one fell swoop. But I'm sure there are businesses in the area that have absolutely had that and had to figure out a way to make it work. So we're probably just one one more on the list that's not going to have to deal with it eventually. But mm. yeah, that's why we're sitting here in our respective homes recording this podcast on Zoom. <laughs> uh, so it's not the COVID cast, it's the podcast. We'll just keep it that way for now. Um but dude, okay, just real quick on football. I didn't watch anything yesterday. Did the uh, did the Cowboys play? Who's going to be the quarterback from now? Oh yeah, Andy Dalton. You guys yeah. have a you guys have Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton. So I'm not I'm not super concerned. Um, I feel feel like we need to give the ball to Zeke more. We play tonight, so okay. Tonight at eight fifteen, we got Arizona. So if we win, we'll be in two two games uh, two game lead in first place. Wow. And that would be pretty impressive given, given that you don't have your main quarterback. <laughs> uh, anyway. Okay. So week three of Moses was all about the plagues and uh, all the way up through um, Passover, which by the way, we, we never even got to like the let my people go moment. It was just all about, I mean, kind of, you said that it changed a heart, but we never even got to like the people are gone. All we got was the bad stuff. <laughs> yep. So um, I'm wondering off the top of your head, I, we've got these, I'm looking at the list of the plagues. Which one do you think sounds the worst other than obviously the 10th one, because firstborn children dying is obviously the worst, <laughs> not even close, but of water turning to bl blood, frogs, uh, gnats, 
flies, livestock dying, boils, hail, locusts, and darkness. <laughs> what sounds the worst to you? <laughs> boils. Boils on your skin just sound horrible. I mean, That's like, true. frogs don't, like, I don't like frogs. They're disgusting. But I'm not afraid of frogs. And they're, it's just annoying. You know, mm-hmm. lice, again, another thing, flies, annoying is, oh, get out. Maybe they bite you. That That hurts. But, like, boils on your skin Mm. oh that just does not sound like a fun thing now water turning into blood that sounds pretty gross i can avoid water for you know for a time period or whatever like i I don't need to go swimming in 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 the lake or anything so which i don't recommend when it's blood by the way (laughs) yeah that's a good point so yeah i think boils would would I mean, be the worst. And, and darkness sounds terrible, but it sounds like Rochester in winter, honestly. But <laughs> yeah, actually, just fast forwarded them to to Rochester to upstate New York. Give it about three months. <laughs> You're not lying. Uh, uh, you, I mean, I actually woke up this morning and the high. I checked my watch. The high for temperature was 52, and it was whatever, like you know, 615, and it was already 52. And I was like, oh, good. Great. So in other words, the sun doesn't even have to come up and it's still going to be the high. Oh, man. But uh, hail sounds pretty bad, too. I mean, that would be terrifying, like sitting in whatever kind of a house you live in. Like, okay, is it is there about to be a piece of hail the size of a car coming through my roof? Like, I don't know. I don't know how big the hail was, but I just have to assume it wasn't fun. But yeah, I mean, Prince of Egypt doesn't give us super insight into that, so... We'll just have to go with hails, the hail the size of cars. <laughs> yeah. If you're wondering what our source material is for this series, it's Prince of Egypt. <laughs> uh, Look, don't judge, man. It's a good movie. <laughs> no, it's an awesome movie. I, I have the soundtrack memorized just, just out of watching it from my kids. So. That's so funny. I send my gauge. I send my sword. That's the, that's the plague part. <laughs> I don't know why your body had to like Convulse while you were singing that, or convulse. Yeah, I guess that's a better word. I don't. I don't know. If you're listening to this podcast, I would highly recommend going to Facebook Northridge Church and actually looking at what Aaron's body did while he's saying that. Any man, anytime I start dancing, it's worth watching. Let me tell you. I believe that. There's no doubt. I believe that. Uh, but like the you're talking about the boils. I feel like the boils would be bad in particular because you know whatever. Obviously, they don't have modern medicine, but then also if everyone's getting the boils all at once, like that's, that's you're, you're flooding the medical system, right? Like you can't even, whatever, whoever the doctor was now has everyone, including himself asking for help with the same exact problem. So you have, there's no, no social distancing to avoid a plague from God almighty. So um, that's, I think the thing that would be, obviously all of these are bad on every level, but the fact that they're universally occurring to everyone there at the same time just means that like there's no relief. And even in a natural disaster today, like if there's a hurricane, well, like you could flee the area, you could drive, you know, a couple hours North or whatever, and you're out of the hurricane zone or at least out of the place where it's quite as bad. But if everywhere that you could potentially go or everyone that you're related to, that could be a resource or like, you can't go stay with family. Like this is everyone is experiencing the same disasters. And um, you imagine for like the Egyptians plagues, I think four through nine, they were getting it and Israel wasn't that had to be like, wow, what is going on here? Like that, 
you know, you're suffering and they're over there as, you know, slaves, like just sitting there like, mm, this doesn't bother us at all. No, mm. you know, like, wow. That would, that's when it, for me as an Egyptian, I would be like, what the heck is going on here? Right. I'd be at Pharaoh's door be like, yo, let, let him go. Come on, <laughs> what man. do we have to do? <laughs> really? Yeah. Or like, I, you know, how well does information spread? Like, do they even understand what's going on? Like for the average Egyptian, you know, citizen, are they just like, you know, I, obviously we're, we're making stuff up, but I'm just thinking like, this would be a terrible set of circumstances to not know the backstory. Like to not even know that you could go and lobby against Pharaoh. Right. Just to, That's true. Oh, yeah. That there was some social media stuff. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Don't picture like yo feral frogs are crushing me right now let hashtag let these people go <laughs> let them go or we're gonna let you go <laughs> yeah. and this wasn't a free society so you hashtag let the people go pharaoh says bye-bye you know you're dead right or also like who's gonna be the slaves next like you know i if if i'm an average citizen i'm next on the list so i'm not really excited about that but <laughs> um one, one thing that you said that uh a couple of things I thought were cool, you know, the connection between um, the Egyptian gods and these plagues, I think is an interesting thing of like God having a direct assault on the pantheon. I mean, pantheon's the wrong word, but like of the, the group of gods of Egypt, I think that's a, that's an interesting insight in that it, it targets like why these things of all the things, you know, well, they're relevant to the deities of Egypt at the time. And God is establishing himself as like, yeah, you think, you know, the sun God is cool. Well, then here's some darkness, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I thought that was definitely like a, a fascinating concept to think through. Um, but yeah, what, what are the things that you're feeling like you talked about leadership being earned for Moses as he's doing this? How, how do you feel like he's earning the, the credibility of the people as, you know, it's actually getting worse for them over time. Some of these plagues are actually happening to them. And then of course they're having to make more, more bricks with less straw, et cetera, et cetera. Like how is he earning their trust when in reality, it seems like most of their life is getting worse. <laughs> yeah. I think he's, he's going after what he said. I think when it comes to leadership, most people want a leader to do what they say, you know, you see politics today, politics today, one of the biggest frustrations that most people have with politicians is they say one thing, they do another thing. Mm -hmm. And I think Moses earns credibility with the nation of Israel because he's like, hey, I've come, God has sent me to set you free and I'm going to fight this battle until it's done. And so he, he, is, he doesn't give up when it gets hard on them, even though they might have wanted him to like get out of town. No, he's committed to the journey. He really believes in the thing he's going after. And they get to see God work through him in miraculous ways. And so I think the whole journey of Israel seeing a guy who doesn't give up when it gets difficult, who is continuing to press Pharaoh and, and go after it. He's not just saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to fight for you, but really I'm going to sit with Pharaoh and like, you know, I'm going to enjoy the, the splendor of the kingdom. No, he's on the ground fighting for uh, his people and, and what God has called them to. And I think over the course of this, this, you know, season in Israel's life, I think they're, Moses is earning a whole lot of credibility in, in their eyes. And I think we see it, we'll see it as a, you know, as the, the series continues, guess who they turn to when things get bad? Moses. Why? I think it stems back to this season in their life where they saw him, you know, intervene on their behalf. And so you'll see this as a history in Moses's leadership. Israel needs something. 
they go to Moses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so God, he's a, Moses's credibility is being established. God's credibility is being established as a powerful God again, over and against specifically the gods of Egypt. And this reputation of what he does, not only to decimate Egypt, but also to get the people out of you know, the Red Sea and all these kinds of things that are coming, those all become very relevant once they get to the promised land and these nations are quaking in their boots already in advance saying like, well, we've heard the rumors. And we even talk about that. We talked about that a long time ago in um, when we were talking about Rahab and the spies, right? Like the reputation of God preceded him and the rumors about his power had already reached Jericho before the people of Israel ever even got there, right? So this is a huge establishment of God because until this point, I, I love what you talk about how they didn't, they don't know much about God by this point. Like that's an important thing for us to remember because the people of Israel, they've been in slavery for over 400 years. Like the, the United States times two is how long these people have been in, have been in slavery. And they at no point have seen the miraculous work of God in any way, at least right. not that we have recorded. So and lived in a culture that worships false gods. Mm-hmm. So don't, like that had to, at some level seep into their DNA, 400 years of living under, under an empire that worshiped false gods. And, you know, like that's a long time, like 400 years is a ridiculous long time. It's, it's easy to slide off your tongue, but man, that's a long stinking time of living in an empire. And we don't know if, you know, God was active at all. Honestly, my guess would be, it felt like he was probably pretty silent right? until Moses came. And so, you know, I, I think it's, it's so cool how God attacks the gods. He, he shows Egypt, they're wasting their time with these false statues or gods mm-hmm. that they worshiped. But he's also saying to Israel, I am your, I am your God. Like, mm-hmm. it's almost like he's renewing his covenant with Israel. Like, hey, you might have forgotten this but I'm the same God that promised this to Abram. And he says in that, in, in Moses's message to them, where he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to deliver you from under the yoke. Why? Because I'm your God, because mm. I, you'll know I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think God's just reminding his people, Hey, I, I am the one you want to worship and follow. Which, um, you know, you, you even said it's easy to have believed that he was silent. Like, I, I try to I try to zoom in on like a random period of time, like years 290 to 310 for slavery, right? Like somebody who lives, maybe they live a, you know, a 40 or 50 year lifespan or whatever, during, somewhere in the middle of the slavery period. How easy would that person have been to believe that God was, that Yahweh was not active, which they wouldn't even have the name Yahweh, but the, the God of their ancestors was not active. I mean, he literally... They would never have encountered anything meaningful from God in their entire lifetime. It's not, like sometimes I think we, we believe like, man, don't confuse God's silence with his absence and these kinds of things. And he's working behind the scenes and you can count on that because we're expecting in our minds that means sometime before my life ends, I'll get to see the evidence of this. And it's like, no, there were literally dozens of generations of Israelites who did not see anything, like not even one sliver of something that would indicate that God was at work in them. And yet these were his covenant people that he loved and was working toward their redemption. And yet they lived, had kids, lived a life and died with no knowledge of what God was going to do next. And that 
that's that's a context setter for me because it reminds me that like it is so easy to get completely enthralled in my own life in my own situations in my understanding of what it means for God to quote come through that it's like wow there have been so many people who have followed God faithfully throughout history that have genuinely gotten not one one hundredth of what I've experienced even in just my lifetime because we are after Christ and because we have the scriptures and because we have the church and the mission that God has given us inside the church. Like it's just radically different. And so I've got to not lower my expectations of what God's capable of because that's not the point. The point is to say that I need to trust that he can write a story big enough to to capture the whole world's attention and I'm just one tiny little fabric in it. That's yeah. just a blip and it's gone. You have to take your narcissistic way of thinking about your life. We all do it. So we're mm. all guilty. I'm guilty. You're guilty. We think we matter so much to God and that our life is so important, which it is, but it isn't. You know, mm-hmm. like there's something so much bigger than what's going on in my life and mm-hmm. in my struggle. You know, it, it's, it's incredible to think that and got it just like 400 years again going back to that like again that you have to like delete everything you know about time in your head when it comes to god because the way we view time and the way we view months and years is completely different than god's mm-hmm. and so what feels like agonizing long to us how could god go 400 years and not intervene for you know years t- 290 to 310 mm-hmm. well it's because that's not a long period of time for God. Mm-hmm. For us, it's insanely long. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, a quarter of our lives. Yeah. It's just, and we just have to, we have to like reprogram our head to understand those things. Which, you know, when you say it doesn't, we, we matter to God. Obviously, we, every, every person who lived, we just keep using that window of time, 290 to 310 of the, every person who lived during that time mattered to God as an individual. But their contribution to the world's story of redemption was not a unique contribution that their life signaled something. You know what I mean? What their unique contribution was, they were people who lived during the 430 something years that Israel was slaves in Egypt. Now, is that a significant group of people? Yeah, it's extremely significant. God uses that reference of bringing his people up out of slavery for Egypt for the rest of human history. That's an indicator of God's, it's a theme of God's redemption and his, his redeeming love and power and significance and glory and worth and everything. But he can't redeem a people from slavery who were never in slavery. So yeah, they played a vitally important role for all of human history. It just was a really terrible role to have to get to play. But you have to trust that God's leading in those people's lives was, was what he wanted for and from them. Yeah. And you're going to see as we navigate Israel's into freedom, that there's always something to complain about. (laughs) Honestly, you know, slavery or lack of food or the Red Sea, you know, the list goes on and on. And so just because you're not in bondage or oppressed, we all have something to complain about. We all have the the problems in life that seem way bigger to us Mm. than maybe they do to God. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the phrase, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you led us here to die becomes like the Israelites' favorite phrase. I'm get pretty familiar here in the next couple of weeks. I just so funny to me. Like, I just love the amount of sarcasm and like angst in that phrase. It's like, what? We couldn't die in, in Egypt? Like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> and it was like, yo, I promise you, if we were still in Egypt, you would not be saying, 
I would love to just be dying here in slavery. Like, exactly. Uh, we're, I mean, we're all like that. Because I'm, I, I do that so many times. I don't say, that, are there no graves in Egypt? But, you know, I have the, the same sinful reaction to certain circumstances in life. Yeah, definitely. And like whatever you're currently in seems like the worst possible thing you could ever encounter. And then once you're on the other side of it, you're like, oh, that was so much better, so much easier. Like we all just complain like that. But anyway, let's get to Passover because I think that that's the that's really the coolest, most significant, and ultimately this incredibly picturesque, um, it, yeah, image. It becomes so important, and I love that you talked about it. like this is this becomes like the atoning metaphor for all of Israel for the rest of time. In fact, still to this day, obviously Passover is an extremely significant. Um, image for people and like you think about a seder meal seder just means like an organized or an organization so like a, an organized meal where there's a there's a set of questions that every good jewish family will walk through in the seder meal where they're asking about the all of the individual components of the passover story and what god asks his people to do in order to prepare because god's redemption of israel and yom kippur the the highest holy day of the day of atonement all even that all comes back to passover because that is and all of that is kind of wrapped up in the same thing it's the sacrifice of a lamb for the save for the redemption or the saving of the people and it again so perfect of course god wrote the whole thing so of course it's perfect but just an incredible parallel with what christ accomplished on the cross so i want to make sure we get to that and your line, Passover is the ultimate heart changer, I thought was really thought provoking because it's not, it was applied to Pharaoh in what I thought was a unique way. Because I would think of it as the heart changer of like, I'm spiritualizing and thinking of it in a New Testament sense, but you were really applying it to Pharaoh, which I thought was a kind of a cool way to mirror both, both meanings there. Yeah, because Passover was the plague. That, that moment in history that changed Pharaoh's heart. Mm. Now there's a lot going on with Pharaoh's heart. He hardened his own heart, God hardened his, and ultimately it's moved by this final plague to change his way of thinking, mm -hmm. <laughs> to change his decision. And, you know, I think as we look at Passover and understanding in the future tense, man, this is pointing to the gospel. Ultimately the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross, him, you know, passing over judgment on us because of Jesus is the ultimate heart changer in us too. So the same thing that happened to Pharaoh really happens to us through Jesus's work uh, and his blood over the doorframe of our life. Mm -hmm. You know, it passes over the judgment that God has and that, that power can change a really hard heart. Yeah. And it's kind of a cool picture. What happens in the Pharaoh can happen in our hearts. Yeah. And the, the idea of communion, right? This is what Jesus told the disciples, do this as often as you drink it as re in remembrance of me. What, and you mentioned it, but like, I just don't think we can say it enough. Like what he's doing was a Jewish old Testament ritual of remembering the Passover and then saying, you know how this has always been about Passover. Just kidding. It's actually the whole time. It's been a shout out to me. I'm fulfilling it right now. And you should remember it for the rest of history. And so when we think of communion, we don't think of a Jewish festival, right? We, we don't think of typically, unless you're, you know, grew up in church, you, you don't have all the context. You're just assuming like, yeah, you know, Jesus died, his body and his blood and that kind of stuff. And of course, that's really cool and super significant and important. But I think it takes on even deeper levels of meaning when you recognize that like 
still to this day, there are Jewish people celebrating this exact thing, the, the exact thing that Jesus was celebrating. They still celebrate to this day, except for Jesus said, nope, flip the script. It's no longer about the, the death angel passing over the houses in Egypt. No, this is about God passing over judgment and I will be the sacrificial lamb. It will be my blood on the doorpost of your life that now means that my body, my blood shed, broken for you. And we need to do everything we do and specifically the Passover or communion Lord's Supper in remembrance of him. Well, and what's interesting is it's, it's both, it's weird because it's, it's, it's like the exact same picture and it ties so well with slavery. Hmm. Freedom is such a big thing in, in our culture now and, and every culture that's walked on the face of the earth that has experienced slavery. Freedom is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we celebrate much like the, the Jewish people celebrate Passover in, in America. We celebrate the freedom of independence day. We celebrate the freedom that Abraham Lincoln started with, you know, the, the enslaved of the, the black community and freedom is a, a big deal to us. And what's interesting is Passover and the gospel celebrate a freedom as well of slavery. It was just us being enslaved to sin now. Right. So yeah. like, Passover celebrates the freedom of the nation of Israel from the bondage of, of Egypt. What Christ did is really the same thing, except it's a bigger form of slavery. It's the biggest form of slavery that we all face. It's, we are slaves to sin, but the chains of the, the chains of that slavery of sin, Jesus breaks with his blood and that covers us. So we don't have to experience the, the wrath of God. And so it's a picture, all of these stories from Moses and Israel to what we've experienced in our culture today is a picture of freedom. And that is what Jesus offers us is freedom from slavery. That's a big deal in, yeah. in cultures. Absolutely. And, and you, you said as well, that's the thing we're celebrating is the freedom that we have in Christ and everything about these stories. Not everything in the old Testament is like, you know, some hidden significant, uh, like picture of Jesus, like don't, don't go searching for him in all the nooks and crannies or something, but like in a big picture sense, Moses, he literally said, God will send a prophet like me to deliver you. Jesus was the prophet like Moses. And also the Passover lamb is obviously a clear picture and the entire Levitical old Testament system is all a picture of Christ. So there are some big picture components that are directly fulfilled and, and carried out in Christ, which I think is, what, what's, what's wonderful about better understanding the Old Testament is not because we're any longer bound by the Mosaic law or something like that, but because every, the better you understand it, Jesus was a good Jew. His disciples were good Jewish followers of the Old Testament Torah. And the better you understand the life that they were living and the ways in which Jesus, he said he came to fulfill the law. The, but if you don't understand how he fulfilled the law or what the law is in the first place, then you won't understand the significance of the depth of meaning that we can now take as people living in the new covenant, not the old covenant. So um, yeah, communion this week, as you're taking it in your group and we, you know, maybe that serves as a reminder for all of us like, Oh yeah, I got to get the communion logistics together. But, um, cause I just reminded myself when I said that, <laughs> um, but yeah, I hope we, I hope we take it in a new way, like remembering Christ through the events that took place thousands of years before Christ and God, the, when he, when he saw Passover, he was not like, Oh, you know, what would be cool. I should like try to arrange it so that like, no, this was exactly the plan. And I, I loved the line that you had, what God started 
at Passover, he finished at the cross. So. Right. Think of how amazing that is. Like, think about how big God is. To, to, to have an, a moment in Israel's history that is so picturesque, so perfectly tied and knitted together to the gospel. Like, come on, read it and see that in your Bible. Don't miss that. Like, wow, God, that's incredible that you didn't miss a single detail that would point to Jesus. Like of all the things, like it's no accident, the shedding of a perfect spotless lamb, the, yeah. the blood would be the payment. Jesus would die on the festival of Passover. Those can just slip through our heads and not sink in of like, wow, how perfect and how awesome and how detailed is God's plan. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. And thank you, Drew, for you know leading us through it. I'm looking forward to next week as we look for the deliverance at the Red Sea and all the things that God called his people to do in that moment, um, which as we're going to find out, isn't much. <laughs> Just like us today, it's to rest in him. So looking forward to that. And communion, everyone, reminder of that in our groups this week. Um, and we'll continue on in the series. Thanks for listening. Um, guys, send in your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. We love to hear from you. We want to continue to do that. And do your best to endure the next couple of days of rain because we do have, I'm sure, some continue to have some beautiful fall Rochester weather around the corner. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time.